everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. Today we're talking about that thing we do. I'm beginning a series called That Thing We That Thing We What is that thing we do? What is that thing we do? We do a lot of things, but there's certain things we just do. We can't help ourselves. We just do it. Ain't nothing to it but to do it. That thing we That's right. Monday, I asked my son to go on StubHub.com and buy some Mavericks tickets. I hadn't been to a Mavericks game in five years. Is that pitiful? That's some sort of a sin, I think. My nephew is in town, he's a big sports guy, and so we went on this website. I spent a lot of money to get some good seats to see the Mavericks play. And it costs a lot of money if you're gonna have good seats at an NBA game. Have you noticed that? Any sporting event, especially professional sports, you've gotta take out a loan to go to a game. So I bought four seats, parking pass. We planned on when we're gonna leave and everything was just perfect. We dressed apart left with enough time, even though we got lost several times. We made it there. All the traffic and everything, we made it there. We settled into our seats. We watched the Mavs play, the New Jersey Nets. It was quite a game. Mark Cuban's done a really good job with the Mavs because there's no dead time in the event. Time out, the drum line. Time out, music going on. Time out, the players are encouraging the fans to clap. He's done a great job of keeping you engaged and involved. And I was watching people around me. Some were dancing with liquid encouragement during the game. <laughs> a lot of people were shouting. I saw one guy make a shot. And I saw one guy turn to another and go, that was cold-blooded. People just naturally cheer and naturally shout, and there's nothing like a sporting event. The Mavericks have some passionate fans, yet that passion is fueled by smart marketing, by by a lot of excitement, and that's that's a good thing. It's, It's great to be passionate about stuff. It's great to have passion about sports. We're a passionate city. I know Miami, the magic city, is a very passionate city about its sports teams. There's a great chance the Heat will win it all this year. D-Wade, LeBron, man, those guys are doing it. It's just the way it is. You can hiss, whatever. Let's just, let's just put the cards on the table. People in Miami are passionate about stuff. We're made, aren't we, to give ourselves fully to things. Have you noticed that? We want to give ourselves fully to certain things. As I travel around and talk to people, some people are fully into snowboarding. That's their deal. They dress like a snowboarder. They read snowboarding weekly. Everything is snowboarding, snowboarding, snowboarding. And they'll do anything just to snowboard. It's their lifestyle. It's their ultimate passion. Talk to someone who's into running, marathon running. They run marathons. They dress like a marathoner. Everything's marathon, marathon, marathon. Everything's marathon, marathon, running, always eating, checking their pulse, marathon. Increasing your speed. I'm going to run Boston, New York. Maybe I'll run the Honolulu Marathon, 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 Marathon. I've run 13 marathons. No, I've run five marathons. Everything is a marathon. We're passionate, if we're into marathons, about being a marathon runner. Others are passionate about 
CrossFit. Wow, CrossFit, CrossFit. How many squats? How many burpees can you do? And pull-ups. And I'm competing here, competing there. I want to be an athlete. And others are into other sports. And you have to shave the hair off your arms and legs. And you kind of have that look. That's, that's what you are passionate about. Still others are passionate about shopping. Ladies, passionate about it. Wow, I'm passionate about a sale. I'm passionate about this mall. I'm passionate about going online. Some gearheads are passionate about a new computer program or new app. Oh, have you seen the new app? Wow, I'm just, I'm just passionate about it. We're passionate about cars and clothes and things. We're passionate people. That's good. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. Passion. Could it be, though, that some of us have misplaced our passion? Perhaps we have gotten so passionate about all these other things that maybe, just maybe, we've missed the main thing? I'm just saying, I just wanna, wanna lob the question out. Passion. The Bible says we should be passionate about life, but in our search for passion, have we allowed the passion we have for other things to Pac-Man, our primary passion, our primary passion, our, our ultimate passion, which should be being passionate about God himself. What am I talking about when I'm talking about passion? What, what do I mean when I say passion? I'm talking about worship. We don't call it that. We don't say, oh, I worship triathlons. I worship CrossFit. I worship antiquing. I worship homes. I worship clothes. We don't call it that. But we say, oh, yeah, I'm passionate about that. I'm into that. That's worship. A common definition of worship is to be passionate about a person, place, or thing. That's just kind of a pedestrian definition of worship. The Bible says, though, worship is something deeper. The Bible says, yes, we're made to worship. No one has taught me how to worship or no one taught you how to worship. I just know how to worship. I know how to, oh, wow, did you see that shot by Dirk? I'll stay for the whole game. Man, the Mavericks lost by one. And there's Mark Cuban going, I can't believe it, cussing at the rest, flipping them off and all that. You know, people are into it. I stay for the whole game. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about that. So are you. No one taught me how to do that. I just know how to do it. I'm made that way. God made me that way. But worship, real worship, yes, it's passion, but it's basically our response to the identity and activity of God expressed by what we say and what we do. Oh, that's the tweet of the day. You better write that down. Don't miss that. What is worship? Oh, yeah, it's being passionate about a person, place, or thing. But real worship is our response to God's identity, who he is, right? His activity, what he does, expressed by what we say and what we do. That's worship. Could it be that we're wasting our worship? Could it be that we're perverting our passion? Could it be that things are pac-manning our worship in life? Because we're gonna worship. And at the Mavericks game, I would say, wow, great worship. 20,000 people who needed exercise. 
watching 10 people battle it out who don't need exercise. <laughs> kind of sounds like the church, doesn't it? <laughs> Worship. I remember years ago, I went to see U2, and I went to the old Houston Astrodome. My brother got us some sweet tickets, and I'm looking at U2, watching The Edge and, 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 and Bono and Larry Mullis Jr., Adam Clayton do their thing in the name of love. And I'm looking around, we're on the fourth row, man. And people have their arms stretched out in the name, in the name of love. Guys going crazy at YouTube, acting like maniacs at YouTube. And the next morning, they go to Sunday school or church and they act like mannequins. How can they do that? How can we do that? We'll go like a maniac at the Mavericks game, and Sunday we'll act like mannequins, picking our nose. What's up with that? Could it be that we're wasting our worship? Could it be that it's like, okay, yeah, good worship, wrong object. We're made to give ourselves fully to stuff. I want to open this series, this in-depth series about worship with several statements about worship. The first one is this. Here's the first blank. And please, I want to fill in the blanks. Worship is not manufactured. Worship is intrinsic. It's what we do. Worship is not manufactured. It's intrinsic. Everybody worships. No one taught me how to worship. No one taught you how to worship. We just worship. We're hardwired for worship. We're going to base this series on Psalm 100. Why Psalm 100? I'll tell you. 100. Say 100 with me. Oh, do we? that's good. That's good. There's 168 hours in every week, right? 168. Hopefully we sleep eight hours a night, and then the rest, you know, we're getting ready, hygiene, et cetera. It leaves us about 100 hours a week to worship. So as Christ followers, many of you are Christ followers, many of you aren't. As a believer, you don't come to Fellowship Church to worship. You come worshiping. Everything we do should be worship. I'm responding to God's activity and identity expressed by what I say and what I do. Everything I do should be an act of worship. If I'm going to a Mavs game, an act of worship. If I'm antiquing, an act of worship. If I'm shopping, an act of worship. If I'm making love with my spouse, by this experiment, I'm worshiping. Everything we do, say, touch, and feel, as a Christ follower, should be an act of worship. Well, Psalm 100 comes along, and Psalm 100 says, shout joyfully to the Lord. Now, for two decades, I've heard this about Fellowship Church. Some people will say, oh, man, the music is just too loud. It's just too loud. You know what the word shout means in the Hebrew? A piercing noise. I've never heard someone exit the Death Star and say, it was just too loud. I've never heard someone leave the U2 concert and go, man, it was just, Bono was screaming, it was just so loud. Yeah, when it comes to church, shout. The Bible says, joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness, verse 2. In other words, if I'm worshiping, it will transition into work. If I'm really expressing my love to God, it will translate into me serving. 
If you're not serving, you're swerving. We've got to serve within the house. When we worship, we're going to serve. Worship and work are always tied together. Come before him with joyful singing. Do you know after every great spiritual awakening, study church history, it's accompanied by new songs? Isn't it amazing that we have so many gifted people writing these new songs? We ought to be going crazy, giving standing ovations. When one claps, everybody claps. You ain't clapping in the back. Yeah, right there, you. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to be going nuts. Now I'm all for tradition, but the tradition I came from, bringing in the sheaves. It's the joy of the Lord, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Boy, I want some of that. That sounds exciting. I would read the entire Psalm, Psalm 100. It's only five verses, but that's next time. We're going to get into this stuff. It's, it's going to be thick. I just want to say to you that worship is not manufactured. It's intrinsic. It's something that we do. We can't help ourselves. You're a worshiper. Everybody's a worshiper. And I would say, wow, great passion. But so often our passion is perverted. The second statement about worship, worship is not complacent. It's competitive. It's not complacent. It's competitive. The enemy does not want us to worship. The whole thing is about worship. Think about what happened before the enemy fell. Back in the heavenlies, Lucifer was the worship leader. He tried to usurp God. Why? He wanted to worship himself. So what did he do? He was kicked out of heaven. Lucifer took a third of the angels with him. They're now the demons. A third of heaven got kicked out. A third of heaven left. As I travel the world and talk to pastors, I say, hey, people are going to leave your church. They even left heaven. God can keep a third of the angels. And you think you're going to keep everybody in your church? What are you smoking? It's over worship. We're in a battle over worship. I think about Acts chapter 17. You can read it there. I won't read it all to you. Acts 17, you have the apostle Paul. He went to a place called Mars Hill. Mars Hill means a place of competition, a place of battle. The place was literally littered with idols. The Stoics and Epicureans, they were saying this, they were saying that. And Paul looked and he found one idol amongst the hundreds that had this inscription to an unknown God. And Paul used that as a springboard to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We live in Mars Hill, a place of competition. There's a war going on for your worship. Have you ever wondered why it's so difficult to come to church? There's a war going on for your worship and mine. God commands and demands us to come together regularly. Hebrews 10, 25, for corporate worship. God commands us and demands us to regularly worship him. God says in scripture, I am a jealous God. Oh, does God have some kind of self-esteem issue? What's the deal, man? God's a jealous God. No, no, no. God knows if we chase after anything else, if we give anything else our primary passion, we're going to be gravely disappointed. 
There's a war going on, a war over worship. Think about the temptation of Jesus. After the spiritual high point, after the baptism, he was driven out into the wilderness. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy came to him and said, hey, turn the stones into bread. Jesus came back at him with scripture. He said, hey, throw yourself off the temple because you can come back from the grave. Jesus threw scripture at him. Then Jesus took him to a mountain range, maybe the Alps, I don't know where. He said, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything you see. And look what Jesus said back to him. Matthew 4.10, then Jesus said to him, go, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. God is your primary passion. God must be my primary passion. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. When my worship is right, my priorities are right, my relationships are right, my finances are right, my emotions are right, everything is just right. I didn't say perfect, it's just right. What's your problem? Oh, I need counseling, maybe. What's your problem? I need more money, maybe. What's your problem? I need a career change, maybe. You know what your problem is? You know what my problem is? I've got a worship problem. And the biggest competition in my life, in your life, the biggest God that fights the Lord is ourselves. Self-worship. It's either God's will, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do, or my will. My will or God's will. The third statement about worship. Hopefully this is blowing the hinges off the doors that some of you had about worship. This is just the beginning. Hopefully it is. Because this stuff is going to go to some unusual places, some places of life change. The third statement, worship is not compartmentalized. It's transcendent. Psalm 100. Remember that? We have 100 hours a week, roughly, generally speaking, as a lawyer would say, generally speaking. We have 100 hours. Worship transcends everything that we're about. What is our primary passion? What is our God? Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, wow, as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Again, it's the transcendence of worship. We like to compartmentalize our lives, right? Okay, this is worship. This is my, my spiritual life, and over here is my corporate life, and here is my recreational life and my relational life. We want to compartmentalize everything, have these cubbies. God just blasts that out. He takes a chainsaw, takes out the cubbies. It's transcendent. Again, everybody worships. Everybody does. But are they pursuing 
the right person, the right thing in their worship. We can get so intense about games and deals and technology and deals and clothes and cars and homes and all that that we come to God and just give him leftovers. Another statement. The fourth one. Hey, let me, let me blow my nose. I've been sick for two weeks. One, one second. Excuse me. If we're at the Mavs game, it'd be like, pom, 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 Let's play some music. Let me blow my nose. Let's go. All right, thank you. Now, I've been sick, man. I went. I took a couple days off after C3 conference. Went to the Northwest. I was sick in a hotel for like four straight days with fever. Didn't have to speak in, in Vancouver. I was sick there. Came home. I'm feeling better. I'm, I'm like back. And then they had the sinus thing. Boom, hit me. So if, I'm like, if, my, if my nose is running, man, please forgive me. Last night I was speaking. Lisa was like, you baby. <laughs> and it was gross to talk about it, but everybody has runny noses, okay? Sinusitis. Mucous membrane. I like that music, don't you? Let's do it again. Let's go. Come on, everybody stand. Come on. Let's all stand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Please sit down. Yeah, sit down. Now, some of you religious people go, I can't believe they played that in church. Hey, let me, let me ask you a question. Is there such thing as Christian music? No. There's no such thing as Christian music. What? No. There's Christian lyrics. There's no such thing as Christian music. So we can either make it Christian or not. But I like that. What, what song is that? That's, um, that's right, Party Rock. Yeah, Party Rock, Party Rock, Party Rock. Yeah, we have to edit some of the, some of the words. That's okay. Hey, how many people in here like a BLT sandwich? We got a fresh BLT right here. I love BLTs. Let's give a crazy round of applause for my boy, Dave Clark. Dave, come on up here. Dave, come on up here. Dave Clark! Now the fourth statement, the fourth statement, worship is not about me. Me, 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 it's about me. Me, 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 me. It's not about me, it's about God. Dave, what's up? What's up? Are you been sick? No, I'm good. Man, I hope I don't get you sick, but anyway. This is a BLT. Now, look, look at this, man. This thing is good. Who in here loves BLTs? Yeah. Okay, Dave, just take a bite. All right. Dave Clark. Trying not to make a mess. It's good. It's tasty. It's good bacon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bacon's good for you. Yeah, in, in, in small quantities, it's good for you. <laughs> yes, it is. Dave's great. His lovely wife, Jen. You guys have three beautiful guys. Jen, stand up. Jen. <laughs> They're from, they're from the north. I love Yankees. And you guys gave us that Yankee candle. We 
for Christmas. And you know what? We like that. We, 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 we lit the candle yesterday. That's good. <laughs> we, were, we hope you got the joke. Yeah. I did. I love it. I'll, thank you, Jen. I know you picked that out for Lisa and I. We love the Yankee candle. That's right. That's right. Dave, you're the best. Okay, thank you. Dave Clark, the BLT. Now, so often, Dave, can I have a half of that, please? Thank you. So often, when we come to church, we just order a BLT. God, I'll take a BLT. This is a ginormous restaurant, a BLT. B, bless me, God. L, love me, God. I love me some me, and God, you love me some me too. T, take care of me, God. Whoa, that's a popular theology. Bless me, love me, take care of me. God is there for me. So if I have enough faith, I can make God do what I want God to do. I can look inside of myself. I can be the man, the woman. I'll just do what I want to do and ask God to BLT me. God's not a waiter. He's not an errand boy. He's not a UPS guy. He's God. He's sovereign. It's not about me. It's about God. So it's not my will and then God give me a BLT. No, 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 no. It's God's will. When we sync up our lives and say, God, I die to myself and I live for you, then God, in his economy, in his framework, will bless us the way he knows we should be blessed. He will show us his love. Obviously, we know that by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, his leadership and guidance and reconciliation and all that. And also, God will take care of us. But... And God taking care of us, so often bad stuff happens to good people. You're going to have times of suffering. You're going to have times of pain. You're going to have times of betrayal. You're going to have times of problems. What do we do? We worship God in the midst of it. We praise him in the midst of it. Even though we don't feel like it, God, you're God, I'm not. I praise you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I'm going to shout to you, Lord. And then maturity and breakthroughs and real stuff happens in our lives. Jesus said it in Matthew 22. He, he said it. He said it so succinctly. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the, the great and foremost commandment. Then the second he said is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you can talk it, but if you talk it, you better walk it. If we love God, if we pursue him with the totality of who we are, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to love others sacrificially. And selflessly. Wow, it's about, it's about worship. See, worship is all about change. It's not just, oh, I got a quiver in my liver, spring in my step, tingle in my spine. Oh, that must be it. It's part of it. It must translate into life change. And it's my prayer during this series over the next several weeks that many here will come to know Christ personally. Many of you would say, you know what, God? 
I've, I've tried to worship this, I've tried to worship that, I'm going to worship you. I realize I'm hardwired for worship and you are worthy of my worship. Philippians 2 says something that is uh, sobering. Philippians 2 says that for this reason also, verse 9, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And the thing, think about that. That means everybody will worship Jesus. Everybody, I'll say it again, will worship Jesus. Everybody. Well, that verse is tough because when I was in the Northwest, sick, one night, Lisa and I went out to dinner. We got into a conversation with this waitress, a young girl. She told us she'd been living with her boyfriend for five years, and she asked us what we did for a living. And, you know, I usually don't answer that question right up front. I don't want to scare people. And, and she said, you know, what are you doing here? I said, we're speaking. And she said, why? I said, well, we've written a book. What's the book about? I said, well, it's called The Sex Experiment. She goes, what? I go, yeah. I said, it's for married couples, and, and it's for also for those who are single. And she goes, well, you know, man, I, I would love for you guys uh, to tell me how to buy the book. I said, no, we'll just, we'll just send you a book. You have to buy it. I'll just send it to you. So she gave us her information and all that. and seemed sort of uh, cordial. She was sweet and everything. So... Came back to Dallas, and after a couple days, I got this email. And she said, Ed and Lisa, I looked up your church, and I looked up the book, and you can keep your book, because I don't, she said, believe in Christianity. I, I don't believe in what you believe in. Thank you very much. Hope to see you again at the restaurant. So I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. I, you know, I, Appreciate her honesty. That's pretty bold, you know. We're going to send her a free book. <laughs> and she said that. All right. So I did send her a book. I sent her a great book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Faith. If you've not read that, it's a great, great book to give a skeptic. Instead of trying to answer all a skeptic's questions, just give them a book. Most of the time, I'll, I'll give you the 411 on skeptics. Skeptics don't have an intellectual problem with the Bible or with Jesus. Did you hear that? They don't. They have a lifestyle problem. You see, that girl did not want Jesus in on her cohabitation. That girl did not want Jesus up in her grill. And I understand that because living for Christ is radical. I understand that. But I think if she's open and honest enough to read Lee Strobel's book, I think it'll, it'll definitely light her up. But, you know, I thought since we met with this girl and talked to her, you know, for several minutes, I thought, you know, it's interesting how God placed our paths together in the Northwest for us to talk to her. And then I thought, you know, if she were to die, she would go to hell. She's chosen that way. God does not hurl anybody to hell. But she would worship the Lord because Philippians says that even those who are on their way to a Christless eternity will have a glimpse of Jesus. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. It'll be too late, but everybody will do it.
So we either bow the knee, we either give God his worship here or there. Now or later. When it's great today, this moment, or sadly, when it's too late. And Lisa and I will continue to pray for this young waitress that she'll bow the knee. But God led us together for that reason. What about you? Do you have a vested interest in keeping God out of your grill? And you're trying to throw all this intellectual stuff up at God. Oh, I don't believe the Bible. And I don't think Jesus really was who he said he was. I saw something special on the History Channel or whatever. Are, are, you, are you serious? How many hours have you dedicated to really seeking the questions, the intellectual arguments that you have over the person of Christ? It's time for many of you to bow the knee and say, Jesus, I worship you. I seek you. I want to be passionate about you and you alone. And by faith, I want to make that decision. Because worship is that thing we do. Let's pray. Father, you're moving here. You're stirring. There's some of us who need to pray this prayer to give our lives totally to you. Some of us can identify with the waitress that Lisa and I talked to just several days ago. We have a vested interest in keeping you out of our grill. But God, you've convicted. God, you have touched my heart. God, you've shown me that I'm made by you and for greatness. And if you will, I can't make you do it, but if you will, would you just say, Jesus, come into my life? Just say it right now. Jesus, I take control. I mean, you, you take control of my life. I've tried to take control. I'm out of control. Lord, you take control. Here's the helm. Here are the reins. Here's the car keys. Here's the wheel. You take control of my life. I admit to you that I'm a sinner, and I want to pursue you, God. But pursuit happens first when we establish this relationship. Jesus, just say it. Come into my life. Others of us here who've been believers maybe for a long time have fallen into the trap of, of thinking worship is something we do in a stained glass room or worship is something we do when we're singing or whatever. And yeah, that is worship, but maybe just maybe God has begun to blow the hinges off the doors of our lives in this whole realm of worship. Worship is attractive. Worship is engaging. And God, may we be about pursuing you in all that we do. May we not waste our worship. Father, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless. God bless.